Hello everyone, this is Adrian from People's Church. I am a CU20 leader uh, and I'm here for another devotional. Today we're going to be doing Psalm 7 where we're looking at God's justice and how it, how it is the source of our strength. So the first thing I want to say is that this psalm is called, uh, and sorry for my poor uh, pronunciation, Shigayon, which is in a sense meaning a wandering song which gives it a sense of being very delightful. But if you read Psalm 7, um, you, get, you don't really get the impression that it's such a nice thing that's going on. What we see here is that David is being persecuted by Saul. And due to this persecution, uh, he's looking to God for favor. Um, he understands that there is no justice that will be um, given to him by any worldly people and so he's looking to God who is perfect being to give him the encouragement and strength to keep pursuing and persevering um, and something that we can see a theme that comes out is that um, even though he's being injured he's still very encouraged to spend time in passionate worship towards God and that's something that we can keep in our hearts. Whenever we're feeling pain, whenever we're feeling oppressed, this should be not a way for us to um, just turn away from God, but instead focus even more on God, worship Him, praise Him, thank Him, uh, bring our case to Him. And so what we see in this passage is that God is our strength in times of distress. For he knows and it has established true justice. And so if we read the passage, it's Psalm 7. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil, or plundered my enemy without cause. Let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. Let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me, you have appoint appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the people be gathered about you. Over it return on high. The Lord judges the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may establish the righteousness. You who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God, my shield is with God, who saved the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, and God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit digging out and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness and I will praise him to the name of the Lord the Most High. So if we look at for the, first, uh, the first two verses, we see that God is our helper 
that is trustworthy. We see that David is submitting to him and he's doing it willingness. Now, submission is something that we do out of free volition, not something that is forced upon us. And if, if we see that he's submitting, then that means that there is a trust. You wouldn't submit to, some, to a leader that you don't trust. And so why is he trusting God in this? Well, because he understands that God is the only one who will rescue him. God is the only one who will treat him fairly. Because the people around him, the people that he considered close, uh, or the people that are his leaders at that time, like Saul, um, are treating him unfairly. Now, this trust is an effect of a personal relationship with God. The closer he is to God, the more he believes and trusts in God's presence and impartiality. There's a confidence that we see in David's words. He knows that protection will come from, these, from the enemy's rage and malice, from like these words that are attacking him and are being... Uh, and, and, and these lies that are per persecuting him. We see that um, what we can understand from this is that when there's no way to reason with someone who's persecuting, someone who's causing you harm, then you can look to God because we know that our Lord is impartial and He will take care of our case. Now, we, when we come to verses 3 and 5, we see that he's making a call for innocence. David is trying to make a case for himself. Now, he understands that God sees all our hearts. And so, uh, he, he, he takes the false accusa accusation, but he also acts in a way where he, his conscience is clear. And how does he do this? Well, he looks to God who will hold each one of us accountable for our actions. And he's saying, well, you know what, like, if I have done wrong, well, I'm, I'm, I'm giving this to you, Lord, but I don't believe that I've done wrong. David is charged for crimes that he has not done. And instead of acting in a way of bringing revenge for this injustice, he instead just turns from that and, and shows mercy to his enemy. We see many times where David being attacked and persecuted and, and maliciously lied about by Saul always ends up showing some level of mercy to Saul. He rewards the evil of Saul with good and that is a testimony about how we should be acting when we are being attacked. When we are giving the, the famous uh, verse of if you get hit by a chick well then turn the other one uh, I'm paraphrasing, but it's, it's not this idea that we're pushovers. It's more that we, we do it out of a place of we don't just reward evil for evil because then we end up just falling into that own trap ourselves. He's making an oath of innocence where he knows that God will take his case. And he believes that he's innocent and he, he, he trusts that the Lord will see, in, will see his innocence too. And so, um, as he's doing that, he's also pointing to the fact that he's open to the fact that he might actually be in the wrong too. And so he comes to God and humbly approaches the Lord and says, I 
if I have done wrong, then, then show it to me. And if I have done wrong, then I understand that I deserve this. And this is something that we should always keep at heart. Whenever we see injustice being done to ourselves, we are never 100% blameless from even our thoughts or our actions. Our hearts are not pure. And so it is important that in those times, as we are pointing the injustice and bringing it to God, we also bring our own hearts to God and say, Lord, I, I am facing this. I know that my heart might not be at 100%. Please reveal to me what I am doing wrong. He looks to God in verses 6 to 11. He looks to God to shield him. God is the leader of his people. And how comforting. And so we also understand that all people stand in front of God. And there will be a time where everybody's going to be held accountable for the things that they have done. He sees our hearts, as I've been mentioning quite a few times. The other thing that can be comforting to us and why we can look to God to shield us uh, in these times is because if we are, are grieved by the injustice that's, that's being done to us or just in the world, then how much more would a perfect being be grieved by these things? God created this world and to see it being infected by sin must be something that must really, really deeply grieve him. And so when we are hurt by these things, then we also know that Lord's, the Lord sees these things too. In verses 6 to 7, David turns to God and says to bring wrath upon his enemies. He, he makes an appeal on, on his behalf. And why can he do this? Because he trusts in God's effective judgment. What does that mean? It means that there is real justice that will be given, that there will be a time of reckoning for those who have been apart from God. And although sad as it may, that shows that there is real consequences for good and for evil. And, and he's also comforted and can do this because he knows that his case will be brought upon a righteous king. And so a proper judgment will be given upon his case. And, and he's asking the Lord to accept his appeal, to accept his, his, his appeal for innocence, because that can also be a powerful testimony for all of God's followers. Now, in verses 9, we see that there's a desire for conversion for the sinners. There's this desire for destruction of all sin in the world, from the people who are with God and the people who are not with God, for all sin in the world, for the continuation of righteousness. What does this mean? Well, that the bad become good and the good become better. You guys all have talents, right? But then when you have this specific talent, you always realize that there's someone better. Now, I'm not saying this for a case of uh, trying to compare yourself, but it's this idea that there's always more to learn, even in the things that you're naturally talented about. Well, it's the same concept. If you think that you're doing good, there's probably something better that you can always be doing. And honestly, we're, we're not good. I mean, our, our hearts show it all the time. And then we come to verses 10 and 11, and we see that there is, again, this confidence in God as our defender. He, he understands that the Lord gives favor to the sincere. 
He will not listen to people who are constantly lying. And I mean, he can see past those lies. And um, we know that he's going to be our defender and we can have trust in that um, because of the Bible. The Bible gives us a basic knowledge of justice and equity. And so thanks to it, we can, we can start understanding in a very small way, but still present what is good and what is bad. And when we see bad, we understand that payment will come for those things. We know that there's going to be a destruction of the wicked, uh, the children of wrath. They will receive what, what, they've been, what they've been seeding. And so whenever they come to God for, or, or they just have these prayers, these prayers are considered abominations because they're not with God. When we come to verses 12 to 16, we see that uh, the sinners are going to be the, the cause of their own destruction. For one thing, we know that sin is what brings, like, is, is, is death's sting. So when you're a sinner, then you're just essentially going to die because of that sin. We understand that the instruments of death for the sinners are in God's hands. And so if he decides that he's going to destroy all of humanity because of the sin, that we, we all have in our hearts, then he would be right to do so. And we know that he can. Now, the thing is, sinners are given a chance. We've all been given chances, right? To repent. Um, and the punishment is bigger when we refuse that repentance. That's why as Christians, we have an immense calling to go to people and to share about the good news so that people may not experience God's righteous wrath, but instead experience His blessings and experience a relationship with God, which is one of the most amazing and wonderful things that anyone could have in this world. Sinners are giving constant warnings. I don't think that when people steal, they, they think that they're doing right or when they kill. And I'm going for the very extreme sins, but there is a place where, where sinners can kind of start seeing that maybe things are not quite accurate in, in the way that they perceive the world. They will bring their own pain. And, and to do these sins, it's, it's compared to false, a woman's false conception. You know, I, bringing labor, I, I mean, I've been told I wouldn't have experienced it for myself, but seems to be a very painful thing. Now, imagining going through the pain of labor for something that is not even, like, real. You do all that effort, and it just ends up being something that is not real not good and that's that's what sin is compared to um it's it's also compared to uh, the pain of a laboring worker who is digging his own hole in a sense think of it this way when you tell a lie and then that lie starts growing and growing and growing and growing and then you lose track about what's real because you've completely lost the conception of what is true and what is and what is a lie that lie becomes your truth but you're still living in a deceived world that's kind of what's happening to the world today those who bring misery to god's people will experience misery and so when we are being attacked by 
like people who are not with God um, or whatever, then we know that sinners will receive judgment because they're going against God's people who have a calling to do good. And so we can rest assured that evil will not last. Um, those who do evil, evil there's going to be a ripple effect for their actions. Think of it again, lying. Um, if you cry wolf a million times, that time that you're actually going to need for help, people are not going to come and help you. And it's that kind of thing where, where sin ends up being way more damaging than it is good. And then it ends with a praise to God praising him for the justice and mercy that he gives us so let's take a time to pray thank you father god for your justice thank you so much lord that you're impartial lord and that when we're facing things that seem so difficult and oppressive lord that we can give our lives in your hands lord we know god that you see our hearts lord and if there are things that we need to learn to do better or to sin less lord Teach us how to follow your ways. Because we know, God, that this relationship that we have with you is so precious. We should try to honor it constantly. And so help us be better, Lord. Help us be people of good. Help us not uh, want to come back with revenge when, when, when things don't go our way and people hurt us, Lord. Help us see that you are present through all of it, Lord. And when we're hurt, you're taking care of it, Lord. Give us the courage not to sin, Lord. We pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.